Hello and welcome to Alchemy. It's good to have you on board for another action-packed episode. And action-packed it most certainly will be. I'll tell you why in a second. Uh, Just to note, we've had a very good response to the last show, which featured Hilary Connor. Hilary, of course, is appearing at the Open Minds Conference in Waterford in Ireland on the 25th and 26th of February 2017. The first conference of its kind for quite some time in Ireland, my home country. And it's a very exciting lineup, including Ubuntu Ireland, the aforementioned Hilary Connor. Tom Ryan, who's speaking on personal sovereignty, Judith Baker on Lee Harvey Oswald and Lessons on War by Media, Mark Bierski, a spiritual talk, Ian Crane, who we've had on the show before, The Death of Democracy, Mark Devlin, another friend of the show, to use that old radio cliche. He's talking about lifetime actors and culture creation. Another ex-guest, Ben Gilroy, is speaking on the broken political system and corrupt courts, Gemma Hughes on natural healing and health, Terry Lawton on geoengineering and chemtrails, Garoda Colmon, The Truth About the wars in Syria and the Middle East and two of my favourite guys around at the moment those conspiracy guys those of podcast fame check them out on iTunes and they're talking about the strangeness of truth strange it is indeed and we'll be delving into that on this episode don't forget we're free and on demand from iTunes and alchemyradio.net and you can follow us and join the alchemy community on Facebook and Twitter so don't be shy about saying hello we exist of course thanks to your kind donations so thank you to everybody who does so via our website we're completely non profit and we'll be staying that way so on to the show our guest this episode is crow triple seven crow is a researcher podcaster and independent thinker who is helping to deconstruct the control-based paradigm that has been enshrouding humanity for eons through his work on the lunar wave and the incredible collection of hd video clips that he has amassed and broadcast on his youtube channel crow sprang to attention and now continues to promote higher thinking and indeed critical thought through his crow triple seven podcast i'm really looking forward to this conversation crow triple seven you're welcome to alchemy how are things hey i'm good uh, thanks for having me it's a great pleasure it's a pleasure to have the vast majority of our guests on this show but your work as i was saying off air is a body of work that has struck a real chord with me you've opened my eyes and i thought i was pretty open-minded to most things and i am open-minded to most things but you have opened a path to me that i was never previously uh, privy to or had looked at and before we get on to a lot of that we're going to have some real incendiary stuff on the show here now i can sense it there is a question that i ask everybody who comes on the show for the first time and it is how did you get from where you were to where you are now and that can be as esoteric or as literal as you like crow well it was a long path for me uh, i'm just one of these people that really don't do too well going along with you know authority or what i'm told um you know ever since i was in my 20s um i was questioning things i I think the real big turning point was maybe in the 90s um i began to realize that a lot of the nasa stuff was construct um and then when i started filming again uh, in the new millennium i just started catching things that really kind of opened the door to the grand illusion 
Okay, and did you find it to be a difficult path or was it something that just seemed to come naturally to you? I mean, I can relate to you as being somebody who just had an issue with perceived authority as long as I can remember. So I found it to be a difficult path personally, just in terms of friends, family and the control system that I was a part of and I suppose still am to a certain extent. But how was that for you? Well, you know, it kind of... A lot of people, I think, reach a point in their life when they think there's got to be something more than this. I mean, what are we doing here? Uh, it all seems so kind of rote and worthless. Um, and to be fair, yeah, when you first begin to catch on to the grand illusion, um, you know, maybe the five stages of grief is not too far off what a lot of people will experience, which is, I mean, it's okay. It's unfortunate maybe because a lot of people get upset. Um, but once you get beyond being upset, Hopefully, you come to a time when you realize that the only thing that has changed is what you know. When you were five years old, everything is just the same as it was then. It's just that you know some things now that you didn't know when you were five years old. And if you begin to frame your mind up um, and not be angry and not be disappointed and take take this world for what it is, then you can get on with things and maybe start to try to be a part of, of making a difference. You know, we, we are in a big... We're in a transition period, it seems, and, you know, everyone who wants to can be a part of that. It is down to choice at this stage. If you go back even 50 years ago, people talk about the internet and how that's revolutionized things. Obviously, it has. 50 years ago, there wasn't really a choice for a lot of people. Access to information wasn't there. And again, that was probably safer for a lot of people. And I'm sure there are plenty out there who would prefer it was still that way because there's a huge amount of personal responsibility that is born out of access to information, in my opinion. And you're somebody who has grabbed the bull by the horns, so to speak, in that regard. You've really stepped up to the plate and you've made it something, a a bit of a quest, really, to get that information out there. So in terms of the information you're putting out there, I think it's time to start talking about that. What's the big one for you? What was the big perception shifter or the one that really struck you between the two eyes, Crow, that made you sit up and think, wow, things are not how they seem for me? I think it was cable news. To be honest with you, you know, so many people point to my telescope work and sure that's played major roles um, when you begin to regain the human mind, the adult human mind back and you quit being a child and you quit believing in Santa Claus and you, you know, set aside all these things that the foundational society we're brought up in tries to bang into everyone's head. But to be completely honest, it was cable news for me um, that really kind of led me to the end of the cliff and you know it just I couldn't take it anymore so how did you go about uh, extricating yourself from that and starting on a new path because we switch off our tv sets but a lot of people don't know what to do then what did you do well I've written articles about this the only way that I know how to communicate this to people is you, you know I often say belief is the enemy of knowing and a lot of people take that the wrong way it's not a shot at anyone's religious beliefs or anything like that to the contrary um, this society that we're brought up in teaches you to believe in a lot of things. And quite often, what people believe in, they enter into that belief without any research, without, you know, it's basically just a choice for a lot of people. But the real shame in it is um, once you believe in a thing, for a lot of people to unbelieve a thing is not going to be an easy task. And so many of the things we're taught to believe in are just simply false. You mentioned NASA quite early on in the chat. And you've also mentioned your telescope work. Let's focus on that for a little while. Let's talk about what it was about now. I mean, NASA, I'm, I'm sitting here in Ireland right now and 
All I know about NASA is that they're those great guys who put man on the moon and they're those great guys and girls who sent all kinds of rockets into space and we've got the Hubble telescope which has taught us so much about the universe, hasn't it? And we had the space race between Russia and China are now part of that and the US, of course, China are now part of it and this is just this fantastic... These new worlds, these new frontiers, all this language that we hear all the time. So NASA are great guys, aren't they? Well, (laughs) okay, so so you got me in the corner here. Um, I'll lay my cards on the table. In my view, uh, there is no space agency in this world that is not designed to do one thing. And the one thing the space agencies are designed to do is to ensure the average human being knows nothing about what is above the blue sky they can see. Um, All the things you mentioned, in my view, are demonstrable fraud. Uh, the Hubble Space Telescope, the moon landing, to me, these are not arguable things. And, you know, you mentioned earlier back in the 50s um, how people treated information. And I would point out um, in the 50s, information was a lot like sleight of hand, like a magician, because when you looked at a TV and the information came at you, you got one shot. You couldn't rewind it. There was no way really to record it easily. And so they were using sleight of hand. They did the same thing with the moon landing where they filmed supposedly a man stepping on the moon for the first time. They took a low-grade camera and they filmed it off a low-grade monitor claiming that they couldn't sync it because the technology wasn't right to to get a good TV signal. Um, My point is this. We're beyond that now. We can look at this data carefully. Um, We can look at it all day long. We can look at every video, every image, every article every everything very carefully now and this is a new world that people have not totally shifted to and to demonstrate this how many times have you been talking to someone who's sitting in front of a computer and they ask you what is this or what does that mean you see we haven't made the conscious shift where that search engine in front of you will give you the definition of anything um, and yet there, we're still asking each other things. Um, when we've completed this kind of shift into the informational age, there is no thing that is put in front of us that we cannot scrutinize. And the thing about that is every lie ever told will die under the weight of its own details. And I know I kind of wandered away from the NASA question you put before me, um, but for good reason, because NASA can't fool us anymore. For those of us who want to examine critically, logically, methodically what we've been handed, um, you can demonstrate that they have been lying to us about nearly everything. So let's look at some of the lies then, okay? So we're going to take what you've said at face value for a second and let's look at these lies and how have NASA been lying to us? How has it been so successful? What kind of trickery have they used to tell us the lie? The obvious place to start, I think, is the moon landings. We've had shows about the moon landings on Alchemy before, but I'd like to get your particular perspective on it. Um, Was it Stanley Kubrick, in your opinion, who filmed the moon landings? Or has somebody else gone to the moon with black technology and black budgets and we were just sold a pup? Or what's going on with the moon landings, in your opinion, Crow? Well, in my view, the moon is not a rock in space. Um, It likely gives off its own light, and it's a hell of a lot closer than the quarter of a million, roughly quarter of a million miles you've been told it it is from us. Um, Similar things are true of the sun. Uh, To get back to the moon landing, you know, whether or not Kubrick was the guy who shot it, that's going to be a tough nut to crack. But we can absolutely demonstrate that when Kubrick was shooting the movie 2001, he was putting in place the technology that was going to be needed to be faking these things. And again, 
fine. Um, there was real no, really no magic. Of course, there was probably spellcraft and any number of things going on. But the sleight of hand, you know, you were being shown on mostly black and white TVs in one shot what they wanted you to see. But in the in that era of America and for much of the world, you know, for much of the world in that era, America was a beacon of freedom and light and all this other nonsense, this illusion that had been built up about what America is. But here at home, people were proud of this country. Um, they were proud to be Americans. They considered themselves the best of the best, which actually wasn't true, but we didn't know any better. And so the illusion that they spun was already prefaced by this kind of mind trickery um, where our mindsets were not in the right place. Our mindsets were not where they should have been, where we should have been challenging authority and questioning what is going on here and saying, man, you guys are spending a lot of money. Um, what are you doing with it? This is not what happened. Uh, people basically turned on their TV, went into a zone phase and said the guys in the white lab coats know best. Um, but there is no portion. In my view, there is no portion of the moon landings that you cannot take apart and demonstrate fraud. Well, one of the things that first made me question, not that I questioned the moon landings per se when I was in school, but I remember being very young in school, learning about how man landed on the moon, allegedly. And I remember asking the teacher, how could they have landed on the moon and come back to Earth if it's, a, if it's so far away in bits of tinfoil? I just remember being really struck by that. And I was given out. To, I got in trouble in school. I wasn't allowed to ask that kind of question. Even today, it's such an obvious question. I mean, they, they tell us that the, the foil that we see or whatever it is, the protective surface of these moon landers are like, I don't know, three times the width of an average piece of kitchen foil. So I still ask that question today, but it must have been so discomforting for the teacher who clearly was towing the party line to hear a child of whatever it was, seven or eight, pipe up with this kind of question when they can't really answer it. So what of the explanations that NASA give? Because you, you've... We, we, between us, we've loads of questions about it. For example, the shadows on the moon, the dust from the lunar lander when it, when it should be taking off, some of the experiments that have been done to demonstrate that it just couldn't have been done in the way it's done. Sound stages, visual stages, all kinds of technology that was employed, employed at the time that would have been state-of-the-art that now seems quite primitive. So what of the answers that NASA have given? Or is there radio silence from them on the issue? Is it just a case of, oh, well, conspiracy nuts will always be out there, so ignore them? Well, you know, not too long ago in the United States, National Geographic uh, released a cover story making fun of people like me who say they can demonstrate that the moon landing was a fraud. Uh, on the cover, they had a clear mock-up. Uh, you know, a fake version, a model of the lunar lander. And they, uh, I forget exactly what it said, but they were making fun. This is the kind of damage control you see. You see, it, it's basically a numbers game, same as the news, where they can probably fool 300 million people in this country. It won't matter that 10,000 or 50,000 or 100,000 caught on. Mm. It's a numbers game. Um, it's got to be. Um, that's really the only logical deduction you can make because – they don't always respond um, in, in to, to all the problems, but occasionally they do. Like here in the United States, there's a show called Mythbusters. Um, some years back, two, three, four, I don't know, Mythbusters did a whole We'll Defend NASA episode, and they basically committed fraud um, to the whole country. They went on and they, they lied. They lied to hold up the NASA nonsense. Um, but you see, we don't really have to care about the details anymore. Even the timelines um, – dictate that we've been lied to. As an example, 
We are told the first Apollo astronauts went into space in 1968, and yet within a year or less than a year, they had managed to take those brand new Apollo astronauts in space, take them whatever it is, 240,000 miles they're claiming, mm-hmm. landed them on the moon, brought them back in a tinfoil spaceship through all the micrometeorites, through the supposed Van Allen belts, all this nonsense we're told. But anyhow, first guys in Apollo, 68, 1968, within the year, 69, they're off to the moon and back, we are told. Well, let's look at Virgin Galactic, where Sir Richard Branson, working for the Queen, I guess, is sitting in the New Mexican desert for 15 years now, and he can't, with modern technology and all the information sources and presumably backing from NASA or any number of people who have supposed space agency information and and backgrounds, he cannot take a reusable vehicle to the edge of space, let it fall down and reuse it in 24 hours or 36 hours, whatever their criteria is. You see... The last time I saw a quote from Sir Richard Branson when he was asked what's going on, he he said, turns out space is hard. Well, really, (laughs) if that timeline doesn't begin to demonstrate to you what is going on here, um, I would remind you that in 1968, we have watches on on our wrists that have more calculating and computing power than they supposedly did in the 60s. Yet in 68, they put a guy in space for the first time for the Apollo mission. Within a year, they take him off to the moon and back. And now in the modern era, we have such fraudulent corporations as Virgin Galactic and SpaceX with the actor Elon Musk holding up the party line and trying to privatize the space lie. Uh, In my view, they're shuffling Nash out the door as quick as they can. I mean, conceivably, NASA is quasi-military, quasi-government organization, so seemingly the American people, if enough of us would wake up anytime soon, could go after NASA about these lies, Mm. although I think that's unlikely, and even if people tried, I doubt they'd get very far. Once it's in the hands of a private corporation like SpaceX or Virgin Galactic, there's no recourse for the people anymore. These private corporations can say or do anything they want, and as long as they're not caught in something that allows the corporate veil to be pierced, um, they can claim company secrets. They can claim national security. In the case of SpaceX, they already have a certification from the Air Force that allows them national security rocket shots up to the supposed space station, which incidentally is another piece of fraud. But Yeah, the ISS, um, that leads us kind of into the the issue of space itself, because I know that your view is quite different from what I would have been taught in school whereby you have the planets and you have things revolving around other things and you have spinning balls and you have all this kind of stuff going on and one of the things that we're always told that we've put out there as the human race is the International Space Station or the ISS. Can that really be true? Do people really stay up there and live up there and don't wash themselves for for months and years on end? What's going on there? No, of course not and and the, the ISS is no different and by the way you know, encodes ISIS, encodes 911, the the simple name, simple uh, numerology. But um, the the ISS, there is a light there that we can see. That is a true thing. I've seen it a handful of times. I've even seen it transit the moon visibly through a telescope before I was filming. Uh, it transits the moon in less than uh, about a half a second, very very quickly. You blink your eyes, you'll miss it. Um, but that tells you something else. That gives you more information. You see, we're told that the ISS is in low Earth orbit. So that means that it's going roughly 17,500 miles an hour or something like this. Mm -hmm. And yet all these objects I've filmed don't fit the pattern. 
the pattern would be closer to Earth, bigger, visibly, moving more quickly. And yet I have a litany of film that shows things that are bigger, moving more quickly, smaller, moving, you know, just the opposite of what we'd expect. But to get back to the point, um, there is no human being that can make a true thing a lie. There is no human being that can make a lie a true thing. And this is how we have to begin to understand that all these things like space, the definition of space, the ISS, um, can be shown for what it is. Um, part of the problem is, is we need to get a lot more people up into their adult human minds and set Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, all these false things we believe in, set those aside. Hmm. And after about a year, when you get back into your adult human mind, you instantly begin to be able to hear the ring of truth. You can hear just a sentence or see just an image, and you will instantly understand whether the ring of truth is there. Unfortunately, human beings want details, and this does not give us all the details we want, but it does give you the foundational premise you need. The truth is not there. I do not hear the ring of truth. That tells you something about something. Now, to be a adult human being and to understand that NASA lied, for example, about the moon landing, this means that a government organization that was tasked with giving us valid information basically lied to the whole world. When you know this, you have to understand that you can no longer accept data from these people. You cannot do it. That is the definition of insanity. To be lied to on a scale of that magnitude and then turn around and accept data from them is simple insanity. When you can no longer accept data from the men in the white lab coats, what you have is your adult human mind and other people with adult human minds, and you have to begin to observe yourself. For the record... I do not accept that anything has been above what we call low Earth orbit. And when I say low Earth orbit, I'm talking about our atmosphere. In my view, it is very likely nothing has been into space, not a machine, not a human being, not anything. There seems to be some kind of a hard, fast barrier there. I've even gone so far based on lunar waves, defocused tests on stars, and taking apart language from things like the JFK, we're going to the moon speech, and stated that it is quite likely that space is actually close to some kind of liquid. But that leaves us with the last thing you mentioned before I started speaking, and that is the orbital models. I don't accept them. I do not accept all these orbital models or descriptions of planets or anything else, and anyone can go to my, my YouTube channel and see where I've taken the fraud of the, say, Philae Rose mission, Rosetta mission, where they claimed to land on a comet, the supposed flyby of Pluto, where I made a clip that told everyone, if you want to see Pluto, you got to go to Disneyland. Um, I've taken these things apart methodically, and they're all fraud. And so when you begin to examine space on your own, what you come to understand is you're looking at lights and when you begin to delve further into it you start to realize things about the lights you're looking at that do not fit what you've been told and one of those things is perspective um, there are artists out there saying that there's no way the stars can be the distances we've been told because there would be a they would not remain equidistance from us as the sky rotated. And whether you want to accept these arguments, you have to accept one thing. The people who defined all these things have told lies on a scale that is unimaginable. And so you simply cannot accept their definitions if you choose to believe nothing else. And belief is the wrong word. If you choose to research nothing else. Okay, well, you've thrown up a load of questions there now in my mind. Um, so I'm going to delve into some of them with you and see uh, see where it takes us 
One thing that really struck me there, and I think it will strike a lot of people listening to you for the first time, is space as a liquid. What are you talking about there, Crow? Is this something linked to the as above, so below type thing? Is it that it mirrors the sea? Because you mentioned language as well in JFK. And one thing that I have noticed, and maybe you can expand on this or elaborate or shoot me down if the case is, is that the language used when people talk about space seems to mirror what happens with the ocean. It's almost like some kind of admirality speak. You know, it's, it's like legalese in a sense. So people are talking about space ships and uh, right. spacecraft and just using all these terms, even talking about the moon, say, some of the sites, the sea of tranquility. I mean, it's clearly, yep. it's clearly not a sea, but is this linked to space as a liquid? And what's that all about? Because this is new to me. So few people probably understand that the complete legal framework of this world is based on a version of maritime law. The language is encoded with it, and you probably know this, um, or at least I'm I'm making the assumption that you may know something about this because you talked about yeah. straw man entities and law. But but what we find is it's not just the legal system that is using ad, basically pirate law. Next time you go see Johnny Depp's Pirates of the Caribbean, you better understand what you're looking at here. It is a mirror reflection of the people who run this place, who have basically took it because they could. Um, All legal language is encoded with this maritime nonsense. Um, Anyone who wants to look in it can get there. Now, to move beyond that towards space, um, what you said is very true. There is really no language that references the naming of things that go into space. As a matter of fact, I went to the the big NASA Disneyland place there in Houston. Hmm. And the first thing that struck me as I walked in the door and there's the Star Trek from the, the TV show Star Trek Galileo shuttlecraft sitting there. And I instantly said to myself, if space is a serious endeavor, it would have nothing to do with entertainment. Yeah. And the idea, uh, the idea that these supposed scientists turned around and named things in space because Star Trek, the TV show with William Shatner and Mr. Spock had used it is patently ridiculous. And it proves that the majority of us are walking around in a childlike daze to just hear these things and not instantly understand there's something wrong with this picture. Either space is a serious endeavor or it is not. If it is a serious endeavor, then entertainment has no part. And the truth is Hollywood is never more than a stone's throw from NASA. But to get back to the idea of space water, um, you know, so many people are aware that all the major religions basically make the claim that space is some kind of liquid and that, you know, in Christianity, they'll say things like the firmament, separate the water from the waters. Um, But that wasn't enough for me. And so I had filmed the lunar wave. The idea of liquid had always been in my mind. But then I started to do things like defocus tests with a really big telescope with a really good camera. And what I would do is I would find a bright planet or a very bright star and I would over-focus or under-focus. And I would do it for long periods of time. And what I began to realize was the pattern that I was filming from defocusing stars was really no different than when you look into a pool with a light in it at night and you disturb the top of the water. It's almost identical, the pattern it makes. And so I kept doing this and I began to realize that on certain nights, there's actually a current in what you're filming on defocused stars. Like if I go to the northern part of the sky and pick up a star and do this and then come back to the western part of the sky, everything is kind of traveling as if there was a current of some sort. And it's not always the same on different nights. It can change up. And so then that's what led me to try to put rules around it. And the rule that I came up with for myself 
is that if I am correct here, I should be able to take apart the English language that is referring to space and prove that the nautical maritime kind of legalese language is encoded in it. So I went to the JFK, we we're going to the moon speech. Mm -hmm. And sure as hell, it is just nothing but maritime language. We set sail on this sea to chart a course on this new ocean. He's talking about going to the moon. And that was it. For me, there was no going back. And that's when I first put up the clip. I think it was last summer or I, I forget. Uh, it's been a few months now claiming, uh, you know, making the statement that I think it's likely that space may be some kind of liquid. But interesting thing happened. As soon as I did that, YouTube kind of lit up all the, you know, the flat earth folk and all the people who are interested mm -hmm. um, in what's going on with the sky. And one person I saw did a test with an LED. Um, they took an LED light and they put it in water in a see-through container and they disturbed the water and they filmed it and they put a defocused star right next to it. And there was the demonstration of what I had been seeing. But anyhow, um, I'll, I'll hand it back to you. Well, there you see, that demonstration shouldn't happen if space is just the vacuum or the, the absence of anything that we're told it is. We should have a pretty, it should be clear all the time, really, in that regard. Am I right about that? Yeah, well, there's problems with all of it. I mean, even just go try to look up where space starts. You'll get all these numbers, anywhere from 60 kilometers to 100 miles to the Kármán line or whatever it's called. Um, if space was defined properly, it should be like a brand new truck at the auto dealership. You can look at it. You can define what colors it's available in. You know the horsepower. You know everything about it because it's a real object sitting there. But you see, space is something else. You never get concrete results across multiple sources. And as an example of this, I was a United States Marine and I was a radio operator. Many times we were told we were bouncing radio waves off the ionosphere. And to be honest with you, uh, it was hard to think that we weren't or that something else was going on. We could talk to people from Japan in Florida, bouncing a radio wave off the ionosphere, off the ocean, off the ionosphere. That's what we're told was going on. Well, later on, when I was doing the telescope work and realizing you couldn't get a solid definition for where space um, begins in a satisfactory way, to, for my satisfaction anyhow, mm -hmm. I started thinking about the ionosphere. So I looked up the current def definition for the ionosphere. I knew what it was. It's supposedly charged particles. The last current definition I looked up for the ionosphere told me that it starts, I think it's 40, maybe it's 30 to 40 or 40 to 50 miles over our head because it fluctuates, we are told. And we're talking about charged particles. But then it went on to say, that the ionosphere goes 1,200 miles above our head. Well, even with any definition of where space starts, 60 kilometers, 100 miles, you're telling me now that charged particles are going well into what we call space, and yet we're told space is a vacuum. You see, there's just no portion of this, when you begin to examine it, that refuses to allow the spreadsheet to balance. And once you understand the spreadsheet cannot be balanced, you understand that you're looking at a falsehood. Yeah, so that falsehood then radically changes our perception of the plane of existence. Well said. Well yeah. said. I like the way you said that. Yeah, like it's, it's completely different. So what do you think, Crow, our existence is or how, how do you perceive that now? Because, I mean, this is mind boggling stuff for a lot of people. It's certainly uh, paradigm shattering for everybody based on what we are taught when we're growing up, unless you're very, very lucky. So... What's going on? What is this thing that we call Earth or we call a planet? I mean, even the word planet is, is plain with a T at the end, you know, so. That's right. What are we dealing with? 
I like the way you said it. It's a plane of existence. I've used it a lot of times. The problem here is um, that we don't have enough information. We're babes, man. We're all wearing diapers. We've mm. been lied to our whole existence for some reason, and people have a lot of theories. You know, we cleared the new millennium, and people began to wake up. Some attribute it to the internet. I don't really attribute it to the internet. We had the internet, or at least I did, since the early 90s. Um, something else is at play here. Um, there's a quickening of some sort where people are finally snapping out of their sleep and finding their adult higher mind um, and not being dragged down by this world that would drag you down at every turn. And what we find is that when we begin to examine what's going on here, it is abundantly clear we don't have enough information and that we've been lied to so much that most of the information we have is valueless. And then we get into things like, well, the, we're living on a spinning globe. No, we're not. We're living on a flat plane and people want to fight about that and turn it into a big problem. The truth is we need more information. Uh, the truth is I don't accept the orbital model, and I think I can demonstrate there's good reasons not to. Everything we've been shown about it is a lie. You have never seen a real image of anything from space. Nothing. Tell, us a, bit, tell us a bit about uh, that. Yeah, the blue marble, etc. Go into that for a minute if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, let, let's, let's take the blue marble image. I forget which Apollo it is. Apollo 17, maybe? I think I have that right. I don't know. Um, supposedly in the 70s, Apollo 17 snapped a picture of Earth from space. Well, that image is a construct. It's not a snapshot of anything. It's an artist's rendering. As a matter of fact, you can go on YouTube this very moment and find people who have taken the time to demonstrate that the clouds were cloned, that there are identical cloud formations all over the image. You can find endless cases of it being inverted, slightly modified, that is an artist's rendering. It is a snapshot of nothing. And yet that image, the blue marble, showed up in every textbook in this world um, and was passed off to the people as if it was a snapshot of something. And once you begin to understand that even the descriptions of what NASA is handing us often tells you that it is a construct, a mosaic, put together from telemetry, an artist's rendering, there are no actual snapshots of anything, no video, no nada from space. Um, and when you begin to wrap your head around that, there's really only a few logical conclusions you can make. Yeah, you see, that might have washed back in the pre-technological age that we're in now. So, for example, if somebody um, in NASA decided to render an image or to clone clouds or whatever it might be, the rest of us couldn't just fire an image into Photoshop and recognize that straight away. Do you think it's the case that those who were doing the editing or whatever it was didn't imagine that we would have access, that we would all have access to this technology 20, 30, 40 years down the line and it's just caught up with them? Again, they're falling under the weight of the details of the lie. Right. I mean, there's even been the argument made that some of the people that were hired to put this crap together um, were leaving Easter eggs because they wanted the truth to be known. These are hard things to prove either way. Um, so what do we have to work with? What we have to work with is there are a lot of adults out there now using their higher minds that understood these things needed to be challenged. And once they were challenged, they understood very quickly they do not hold up to scrutiny. They fall apart, which makes them false things. And once we understand that all these things are false, we begin to get a whole other picture of this place we call the world. So then what about satellites? Because we all speak on cell phones and we know, don't we, that satellites are what enable us to do that. And there are 
presumably tens of thousands of those. I, I don't know what the figure is, but apparently there are over 10,000 satellites flying all around the place. And that's what allows us this technological age. However, we never see them in the sky, do we? Or we never see them crossing <laughs> the moon, for example. You spoke about seeing one or two different things crossing the moon at various times. But surely you'd be seeing that all the time if these satellites were there. And if they're not there, what the hell is going on? How do we have this technology? Because there's just something for me. And this, this is my question. It's like my seven-year-old in the classroom then again when I was back at that age asking about, uh, about space, etc. If we have this satellite technology that allows us to use mobile phones in all the big urban areas, why can't we stand on the top of Mount Everest and use our mobile phone? Well, that's a simple thing to answer because there are no satellites. There is nothing orbiting anything. There is nothing that goes above our low Earth orbit, which is our atmosphere in my view. I spent four years using very good telescopes and very good cameras filming the moon in high definition. At no point did I ever – well, let me preface that. Early on when I was filming, I was still accepting that the satellite maps that I was looking at were telling me something true. Mm. And there are very early clips on my YouTube channel where I'm just assuming that that is correct. By the time I realize that, wait a minute, I can't identify, you know, at at that time, I was saying if something is within 15 minutes, I'll accept the description. If the trajectory is slightly off, I will accept the description. The reason I did this is because we're told that all the satellite maps are slightly off for all these orbital complicated orbital model reasons and what I came to understand is the longer I looked is wait a minute if this is even off by a couple minutes and it made a few orbits it would be nowhere near where it was supposed to be and if its trajectory was even a fraction of a degree off it wouldn't even be in the same ballpark to be filmed as this you know supposed satellite map is showing me so I filmed four years and I have filmed nothing that I can ID as a satellite, but I filmed a lot of things transiting the moon. They're mostly these little black round things. There is stuff up there. But for my money, as I began to do things like get optical experts to calculate exactly what the value of a pixel uh, with my telescope and camera that I was using was at, say, 11,000 miles or low Earth orbit or the plane of the moon, as we're told, you began to realize that these things are so much closer than we've been told. Whatever they are, they're not satellites because they don't look like them. Their speeds are not right. Anything in low Earth orbit should be moving like a bat out of hell. Um, And this is not what we see. But to get back to the point, you were kind of asking me, how does all this stuff work down here that's attributed Mm. to satellites? Well, there are these black things that may well be balloons that are up there all the time. Uh, I don't think anyone knew about them before I started to film. And now that so many others have begun to film, uh, we've replicated over and over and over that there's these little black round things moving at different sizes and different speeds from us, but nowhere near the speeds that would be required for low Earth orbit by, by the standard NASA definition. I would... I have heard some arguments that I think are interesting, but I've never really concentrated on them. One of them is is that we got GPS right about the time we got cell towers. And the idea there is that it's all triangulated. And that would also start to address why you can't get a cell signal on the top of Mount Everest. Um, but I've had cars with satellite radio in it, and it's a funny thing. You won't go necessarily go under anything, and you'll lose your signal. Like if you go between things, you'll often lose your signal. Hmm. Or if there's a big mountain to one side of you, you'll lose your signal. And as I was coming cross country one time, I concentrated on this. And I, for the life of me, I couldn't make heads or tails out of how a satellite, you know, a bunch of satellites giving me this radio signal could possibly not be 
you know, successfully giving me the signal I was after. Um, look, if you take the time to, to look at this logically, one of the things you're going to find is you mentioned there's roughly 10,000 satellites. Well, I would amend that by saying we're told there's somewhere between 15 and 30,000 satellites, which does not account for broken satellites or space junk, hmm. of which there are supposed to be hundreds of thousands of people. I recently saw a high-end mathematician do this with the information I just put out there. He used high-end math to demonstrate that if there were that many satellites and that much space debris um, in orbit around this world, that we should see something like 100 transits of the moon every one to three hours every time we look. And this is math, man. You know, you can argue with it if you want, but, I mean, if you really want to get a little more nonsense – no nonsense. We have pictures of supposed astronauts in the International Space Station with DSLR cameras that are every bit as good as what I used, and people are often amazed by the quality of my footage. Why haven't they poked their little camera out the ISS observation deck and shown us these amazing satellites in amazing space doing the amazing things they're doing? And I'll tell you why. Um, because they don't exist. One law that I follow um, almost exclusively that I made for myself is that we're in the high-definition high age, which means anything amazing that can be filmed will be filmed, and it will be filmed in high-definition, and yet there is not one single actual real piece of video or snapshot of a satellite in space. That's a fantastic point. I mean, you would imagine, I know if I was up in the International Space Station, I'd be posting photos to my Instagram or whatever, Facebook or whatever whatever people want to use, nonstop of the earth in the background. Wouldn't these be the most fantastic pictures ever seen? It beggars belief that they wouldn't be doing that. Yet every time, and I know the Super Bowl was on in the US a couple of days ago, every time we hear something about the International Space Station, it seems to be something trivial. So there was this image that was being shown all over the place. Um, I happened to glance at the news one of the days and it was, oh, one of the astronauts up there was playing football and this is how an American football reacts in space and it showed the, the the football going through and it's always something stupid or ridiculous I mean what are they doing up there what are we learning from I mean assuming they're up there what are we learning from them what science is being done or is it all just this nonsense triviality you'll see somebody playing a guitar you'll see somebody just doing something that you would imagine well, isn't part of the mission if they are up there. You know, it's ridiculous. You're, you're, you're actually learning the most critical thing you could ever learn in this lifetime from the International Space Station. It's not amazing science because no amazing science gets done there. And the reason no amazing science gets done there is because there are no astronauts in space. Um, there are endless videos on YouTube that demonstrate the fraud and how they're filming it on vomit comets with wire systems, any number of ways, hanging women upside down so their hair looks like it's in zero G, putting enough hairspray on it to get a similar effect. Here's what you're learning from the International Space Station. You're being presented with fraud. You're being given the opportunity to become an adult human being and use your higher mind and simply look for the ring of truth. And then recognize that it's not there and then simply take it apart by the numbers. And once you've done that, you're standing in a whole new world. You have a whole new view that you did not have previously before you began to act in this way. You see, an adult human being should challenge everything. Think of a person maybe who was living 
if there was such a time, 400 years ago, before any real, you know, tools and machines and cell phones and information, that person was in an environment where they spent most of their day looking and learning and challenging and not just accepting things at face value they had to know when to plant they had to know what was huntable they had to know where the good water supply was they had to know what it meant when the sky was red at night Hmm. they had to know what it meant when the sky was gray in the morning they had to know what it was what what was coming when the wind blew from the northeast this is a whole other kind of human being a more adult human being who is taking input from the environment and constantly learning and shaping and challenging what is the best way forward And this is one of the things we've lost. So I would submit the International Space Station can teach you the most important thing you can learn at this point in history, and that is how to recognize fraud. Because unfortunately, the majority of people listening to this came up through school. And what that school did was indoctrinate you into a system that teaches you how to get along within the system, but it teaches you absolutely nothing about the system you are living in. Okay, I'm going to try and apply some of that then. I'm going to use some of my higher mind and think critically about something. As you were speaking about satellites, I thought to myself, oh, Star Wars. I remember, again, when I was, um, when I was young, being terrified by some news report about uh, Ronald Reagan's Star Wars and how Russia and the, the Cold War, etc., etc., and how they were going to blow each other apart with these new weapons that were up in space. And everybody was to be afraid because of that. And I duly was afraid as a child. Now, if we've got no satellites up there, we've got no Star Wars, so that's, that's got to right. be fraud. So are the weapons they talk about even real? Nuclear weapons. Now, I know you talk about nuclear weapons, no. and, I, and I would like to talk to you about that because we all know Hiroshima and Nagasaki happened, or do we? No, they didn't. They didn't. There, There is no war that went down in the way you've been told. Um, war is a thing that is constructed by banking cartels. And you can prove this endlessly. Even go go to World War II. General Electric was funding Hitler at the same time they were doing other things. L- look at it this way. If a war was truly a horrible thing that's that goes on out of the control of the people because governments can no longer move forward without fighting, then what that should mean is that there's no way of stopping it or getting around it once it's happened. And this is not the logical truth. The logical truth is is that it takes a hell of a lot of money on both sides to run a war. The logical truth is we can demonstrate that the banking cartels are funding both sides of the game. The logical truth is is that if the war was really a problem, the banking cartels could simply stop funding it and the war would end. You see, but that doesn't really cover it. I recently went back and I noticed on Turner Classic Movies, which is a cable channel in the United States, was playing a film segment a bunch of films about World War II called Film as Propaganda. And I said, well, I'm going to record this and I'm going to watch it. One of the things I recorded was a movie called December 7th, which is, of course, about Pearl Harbor. Yeah. It was claimed that there was real combat footage, that there was all this stuff going on. What was actually going on, it was the rankest piece of propaganda, and they actually tried to pass off model ships being bombed as real combat footage. So I went on to look at the Midway footage. For those who are not familiar with World War II, the United States Marines claim to fame as the island chain hop to Japan. Midway Island was one of the big battles. It's a fraud. We are told that the famous Hollywood director, John Ford, I think I've got it. I hope I've got the right guy. It, it was one of the big Hollywood directors that did Westerns. Mm. I think it's John Ford. 
was sent to Midway to film combat. And we were told at the beginning of the film that shrapnel actually hit him and his camera as he was filming and it was left in the movie. Well, I'm here to tell you that that film is 100% propaganda. At no time did you ever see real combat footage. So there's two major pieces of World War II that I am calling fraud because there is no reason to lie about or play shenanigans with these kinds of things. Um, anyone can go look at December 7th. Anyone can go look at the Midway documentary. If they use their adult higher minds, they will instantly understand. And this leads us into nukes. Nukes are a fraud. Nukes are fear porn. Um, you can look at any nuclear footage, any nuclear footage, and begin to find problems with it. You can find cuts. You can find all these things. But one thing everyone knows about an explosion, what's the one thing you know about an explosion? If I had to ask you, what is the one certain thing you know about an explosion, what would that be? The one thing we know about an explosion, it's damn fast. It is so fast that it occurs before the sound even gets to us. Even if we're close to the firecracker, that's how fast it is. Go look at nuke footage. It looks to me like most of it was filmed with high explosives and they filmed it at a very high frame rate and then they slowed the film down. For some reason, nuclear explosions happen in slow motion. Don't know why that might be. But again, you're talking to a United States Marine. I went through biological training when we were told what you're supposed to do when you see the mushroom cloud on the horizon, and it is all nonsense. I was in Hiroshima. I was standing in Hiroshima when I first got to Japan, and I asked some of the people who were supposed to be um, teaching us the ins and outs of now you're in Japan, this is the things you got to know. I said, how can we be standing in Hiroshima if the half, we were told when we were kids, the half-life of the radiation was going to be such and such? No one had an answer. Um, it's fraud. Nukes do not exist in the way you've been told. And not only that, there are some very interesting clips on YouTube, and I would love to be able to confirm this for firsthand, where there are people holding uranium and Geiger counters and saying that the radiation we're talking about is basically heat here, and look, I'm holding it, and look, I'm showing you the Geiger counter. I can't confirm that because I don't have a way to do it, but I do understand that nukes are just nonsense, and Anyone who reaches their adult higher mind can further go back and look at the news of nukes. You remember, how long has it been since we've been told that these damn terrorists that don't exist are going to get suitcase-sized nukes any day now? Hmm. This has been going on for decades. How about Chernobyl? The story of Chernobyl, that's more fraud. Fukushima, that's more fraud. Um, what they're doing is land grabs there. You know, the story that came out around Chernobyl is really what tipped me off to it. And it was some years later that I saw Anthony Bourdain, a TV show host, go back into Chernobyl wearing an x-ray badge. And they're all just fine as long as they're not there for more than two hours or whatever it is. It's all nonsense. This does not fit the construct of what radiation is that we were told when we were kids. And not only that, in the case of Chernobyl, we were told, and I, I was there, I was in my, you know, I was in the 80s. I was an adult at that time that Russia was being asked, did you have a nuclear accident? They were saying no. But suddenly they found this radiation all over European vegetables. Mm -hmm. And then they began to detect the plume. Well, really? So all these European vegetables got radiated and people consumed them not knowing for some period of time. And then this radioactive plume that they showed us pictures went over all these populated places. Where's all the birth defects? Where's all the anything? 
go into Chernobyl itself and they'll show you populations of foxes and all these other things that are thriving in the supposed radiation polluted place where clearly the water would have to be all radioactive. Just none of it. None of it holds up to scrutiny. Uh, nukes are a fraud, man. Yeah, well, I've seen some of that footage and those pictures. I mean, the, the wildlife is abundant in Chernobyl. That's not even open to question. Not and possible. That, not that possible couldn't in happen. A place that, yeah, if, if radiation, the description we were given, and we were also told that they poured water all over their melting down reactor after they were told not to, which means that not only did radioactive steam go up and go everywhere, but all the groundwater and all the water in the area was radioactive. I'm sorry for having stepped on you, but it, that is proof positive that the two things you have been told do not jive and are therefore false. So what's the agenda then? You mentioned land grab. So is that what we're talking about with Fukushima as well? Or is there something more sinister even afoot? Because Fukushima is something that doesn't seem to be going away. I mean, it comes back every couple of months into the public consciousness through the mainstream media again and again and again. And we hear these horror stories about how the uh, the west coast of the US is being radiated and the fish stocks or the seas are dying and this, that and the other. What is happening there? It's fear porn. They're shortening everybody's lives. You see, your mind creates your reality. There's no radiation washing up on the West Coast. I lived there during the time of Fukushima, and I saw the news reports. Mm. Oh, all this radioactive debris is now going to wash up. They even showed pictures of all this debris washing up on some beach, claiming it claimed from Japan. It's all nonsense. You know, at the time, there was these big news stories. Well, where's all our, our radiation detectors that we have on the coast? Oh, well, they were all shut down. You know, just... It's the typical Tavistockian way of programming people with fear. And when you program people with fear over a lifetime, it shortens your lifetime. A cancer is a prime example. Yeah. Let's take David Bowie. So David Bowie is famous. He's rich. He's probably re related to royalty. He dies of cancer at the time of the zodiacal sign of cancer, at the age of 69, which is the zodiacal sign of cancer, and he leaves us these cryptic videos. So the man's dying of cancer, but he can bump out, you know, God knows how many cryptic videos before he kicks off while he's dying of cancer. I'm here to tell you, if you ever hear of a famous rich person dying of cancer, you're looking at fraud. The cure for cancer has been known since at least the 30s, probably way before with cannabis, plant-based medicines. The Gerson method is a good example, yeah. proven to cure many cancers. There is no way in hell any head of state, any rock star, any rich person will ever depart this world from cancer because there are known cures. So what are you looking at? You're looking at the programming of a world population. We're all being convinced now that three in five of us are going to die of cancer. Well, if you believe that, what kind of an effect does that have on your existence? Not to mention the, you know, the food supply and the water supply having been diminished as much as they have. Um, it's fear porn and it serves a purpose in this death-based system for those who would shorten our lives. So you mentioned the signs of the zodiac there. Surely the space question, would that not throw astrology out the window? Or is astrology something slightly different, the planets and the stars? It, can that still apply? Can that still be a, a, a powerful tool for us? What were the ancients up to when they had these seemingly incredibly accurate measurements based on the zodiac and the star system? Well, there's the, 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 the importance of the zodiac is never going away. Whether or not you're a person who chooses to think there's any value in astrology at any level, and there are all kinds of levels we could think about here, um, one thing remains true. 
the sky, the sun, and the moon are the only two true clocks we have for this world. The only true division of the seasons are the solstices and equinoxes. How do we know about these things? How do we clock these things? Well, it's the zodiac. There are, what are there, 88 constellations or something, supposedly? Those don't really matter so much. It's the 12 zodiac constellations which seem to be behind the sun and the moon and the planets that matter. And the reason is, is because that marks time. As an example, I've questioned whether eclipses are anything like the way they've been described to us, but I have further understood that they're very important. They've always been tracked. They're always encoded in things in the same way the ruling class uses the zodiac and the sun to encode things. <coughs> the point I would make is if you were from a family bloodline or the Vatican or the royal family of Britain who had been given good information about what the ages in this world are about and when the ages change. As an example, why at the millennium did so many of us start to wake up? Mm. I mean, radically wake up. Um, something has changed. It is possible that there are people in this world who understand that when they see Venus transit across the sun, that that is a marker for the time we're in and they understand what's supposed to come next. They understand what age came before and what that supposedly meant. Um, the sky is about time, and whether or not you choose to value astrology in any way, those 12 constellations called the zodiac are the way we can tell where the sun is, the way we can tell where the moon is, the way we can tell when equinoxes and solstices are happening. So what you're saying is then essentially it doesn't really matter what per se the stars are or the moon or the sun. Let's take Saturn as an example. It's a planet, allegedly, and if we knew how, we could probably go in a spaceship and set foot on the planet or send a probe or whatever it is. But because there is no doubt that Saturn, again being the example, that the elite seem to worship Saturn to an almost obsessive level or degree, and we see Saturn imagery everywhere we look if we care to look. So it doesn't really matter that Saturn isn't what we're presented with at the moment but it can still have validity and it can still be a source of control if that's what it turns out to be or whatever is that is that what you're saying and does does my question even make any sense to you there yeah it's actually perfect because in the case of saturn um it's usually people get so stuck on details you know like they'll look at sandy hook or something and they'll spend the next six years looking at details when they knew you know years ago that it was a faked event so why did they keep wasting their time mm. To apply this logic to Saturn, basically Saturn is time. That's what it's encoding. It's Kronos. So we just talked about the sky as time, and here's this mythical Saturn that the elites love to encode so much. Um, people will make all kinds of corollaries to Satan or what else, but basically it's about time. So in a way, Saturn is encoding the bars to the prism we live in because time is the bars to those prisons. It ensures that we will all get old. It ensures that change will occur the whole time we're here, um, that our time here is finite. But more than that, if we look at time in the way we were just talking about it with eclipses and other things happening that allow us to track time, doesn't that really make the elites who understand this stuff, who were told good information, they, they kind of control time in a way. And to put a fine point on it, we can demonstrate that they screw with time all the time and it's not good for us. One example of that is the first of the year is March at the equinox, the spring equinox. That's the first of the year. There is no other first of the year. That's when rebirth happens. Everything is reborn. There's eggs in nests. New things are growing. That is the beginning of a year. And yet we are told 
Julius Caesar and Pope Gregory, I don't know, the 13th or whichever one it was, jacked up the calendar and moved the first of the year back to January. Hmm. Well, why did they do this? And not only that, the, the Catholic Church has saints that encode all the same stuff. Um, Andrew, or it's not Andrew, I forget the the. Whatever saint it is that represents March is the brother of the saint that represents the new first of the year um, in January. And I think that's St. Peter and his brother is maybe Andrew. I don't know if I've got that right. I think it's Andrew. Um, But St. Andrew is always pictured in front of this cross that's like an X. Well, that cross is actually a goniometer. It's two compasses brought back to back to measure the angle of the sun coming across the ecliptic. It's all encoded timekeeping. And so another example for the modern era is why the hell are we doing daylight savings time? Well, I'll tell you why. Because it pulls you out of the natural cycle of things. And when is it done? It's done at the equinoxes. Of course, the all-important equinoxes. So in some ways, you know, this idea of of Saturn that you brought up, it, it kind of demonstrates in a weird way that the elites are in some ways controlling time. Daylight savings time is an interesting one. I've often wondered about that. Again, I can remember from a young age. Yeah, they're going to give farmers or whatever an extra hour of daylight. But (laughs) don't you have to take one away to give it? Like it, It reminds me of the tax system. We'll give you a tax rebate, but we have to take it off you in the first place before we can give it back. It's like a trick. It is a trick. And not only that, there's there's an old saying, and I don't know if it actually came from an Indian chief, but there is an old quote here where supposedly some Indian chief said of daylight saving time, only a white man would think you could cut a foot off the bottom of a blanket, sew it to the top of the blanket and think you've changed something. (laughs) That's it. That's what I was trying to articulate. That is fantastic. And it's true. It is true. And not only that, it is clearly... Everyone listening to this that has gone through daylight savings time will understand that when it's first implemented, you feel off until you get used to it again. Totally, yeah. Yeah, they do it at the equinox. So right about the time you're all back in sync and used to it, another equinox shows up and they knock you out of sync. Equinoxes are so important in, in this world. The problem is no one ever told us why. When you look at the Masonic traditions, those two pillars... Part of what they encode is the equinoxes. Um, the sun is often encoded when the pillars are shown. Uh, it is all about the sun. It's encoded in major religions. It's encoded in all the elite nonsense that we see. It's encoded in the stories of the Greek gods, the Roman gods, the Egyptian gods. It's the sun um, encoded over and over and over. And what's that about? It's about keeping time. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I know the symbol that's often used for the sun, which is the circle with the dot in it, is representative right. supposedly of the old sun, which was Saturn and the sun together, one being in front of the other. And that seemed to just disappear or stop. But there are many ancient accounts of that and that symbol stays with us to this day. So that in itself would indicate that there is something up, that there's something that that is hidden that people do have this knowledge and I mean we have to assume that it's the elites they're the one encoding all of this information into almost everything that they do it seems to be their their only reason for existence in many cases so what do you think the sun is and what is the relationship of the sun to the moon to the earth have you any ideas or any theories on it or again do you think it really matters yeah, I think it does. I think it will help better define where we are. Um, see, being being denied all this information about where we exist 
is really a very foundational fraud. Because if you don't under understand where it is you exist, you don't really understand where you can go from there, do you? Or what's possible in this place, because you don't even know what this place is. Mm. But to address the sun and the moon question, when I think about the sun and the moon, this is what I can say. I don't think about space. I think about Earth. I think about the sun and the moon as local to this system we call the world. Um, that's the way I view it. I will further say, and I've been saying it for a couple years, the first person who lives in a place who can film the setting and rising sun with decent equipment uh, on a regular basis is going to probably capture some things that put the lunar wave um, in the back seat. Um, I am gearing up to do this. I know others are gearing up to do this. And you will notice uh, chemtrails in most parts of the world are blocking our, our view of sunset and sunrise. Yeah. Uh, here, here where I am now, it's maybe one day in 30 where you get any view of the sun going down. Um, and this has been going on for years. They're covering stuff. There's something going on critical with the sun that is going to be key, in my estimation, to kind of furthering what we know about this place we live. Can you speculate on what you think it might be? Well, I think it's possibly a few things that maybe there's technology already up there lensing or doing something in front of what we see. It's possible that the sun we actually see is not the sun itself, but the refraction of the sun, a bit like looking through a glass of water and seeing that the top of the straw outside the water is not connected to the bottom. So the real straw is actually not in the place you're seeing it once it's refracted. Mm -hmm. And it's possible that there's more than one body there or something uh, that's been filmed a lot. There's also been this black dot filmed quite frequently over the face of the moon. Um, it's all speculation at this point. We need more information, but there is something key going on there. When we talk about things like this, it always reminds me of the movie The Truman Show, which happens to be my favorite movie, and I didn't know why it was for a long time. And over the last couple of years, and the more I've watched it, I realized there's just... You spoke about higher mind and the ring of truth, and I do realize it's a Hollywood movie, but I think quite often the truth is encoded or hidden in plain sight in a lot of what, a lot of the stuff that Hollywood puts out in front of us. And while I don't necessarily think that Ed Harris is up there sitting in the moon looking down on us, controlling everything, there does to me seem to be some kind of a ring of truth. You look at where the, the, um, the protagonist, Truman, lives, and he's, he's in this kind of a a dome if you like and everybody's watching his every move and it is controlled from the moon and I just think there seems to be encoded in it some kind of a plan or some kind of a, a system or an allegory that tells us a little bit about the system that controls our behaviour and what goes on with us down below you know so I mean I don't know what the moon is I can't say one way or another and I don't think that it is exactly as it's described in the Truman Show but I do think there are kind of allegorical lessons for us there or at the very least that movie opened up my eyes to the fact that there might be something a little bit different it just didn't seem entirely fictional to me and the more I watch it now the less I think that it's complete fiction well th there it is I mean uh, you know you are using your adult higher mind I have said for a long long time that it is quite possible that the moon, which is a construct and has been misdescribed to us, is somehow part of a control system that has a direct bearing on our existence. You will notice that almost every time the moon is shown in media, it is related to death, insanity, or sleep. Hmm. Um, there are endless movies like The Truman Show. There was a movie called, or a, a show called Futurama here, which is a cartoon yeah. about space uh, from the creator of The Simpsons, where they have done shows 
kind of demonstrating that what they call the near-death star, which is actually the moon, is basically doing what the Matrix movie said is going on, making claims like, well, who knew they were right? There's all this encoding of what the moon is, but at the end of the day, the moon is not what you think it is, and I would bet the farm on that. Defining it any better than that, unfortunately, we always need more information, but I am heavily leaning towards that it is actually part of a control system that has a direct bearing on our life and death. Fascinating. And I know one of the criticisms that are often thrown up, certainly at me when I try to have these conversations with people, is that, well, you can't just turn around and say that it's not something and not tell us what you think it is. But I would counter, and I'd like to get your view on this, please, Crow. I would counter with that personally. Well, of course you can. If you've been right. sold a pup and if you've been told a lie, you can flat out reject that lie once you're aware that it's not the truth. You can say that something is untrue and know that it's untrue without necessarily knowing what the counter of that is. Well, you can prove it. Um, say someone walked up to you and said, here, here's a real Coke. Here's a classic Coke. Drink it. Um, and you take a sip and it is not classic Coke. It does not taste right. It is terrible. Hmm. Well, you're in the same position. You understand that you didn't get given a classic Coke, but you have no idea what you just drank in that bottle. It's no different. Yeah, it's amazing. It's it's almost like that uh, a lack of knowledge is using, used as a stick to beat the bearer of uncomfortable news with. You know? Right, that, that, <laughs> that's the system enforcing itself. This is the school training, um, getting people to act in a way that is not helpful to their own existence, uh, you know, kind of bolstering the falsehoods of this system where, well, if you say this, then you have to say that. No, you actually don't. If you've taken the time to demonstrate, like the lunar wave is a good example, um, it's pretty much been demonstrated that there's a thing called the lunar wave. It's pretty much been demonstrated that no one described it before I filmed that thing in 2012. Well, how can that be? Space agencies have scopes on the moon nonstop, and yet we never heard a damn thing about it. Um, you know, it's one of these things. Once you stop accepting what you're told and you start using your own two eyes, you can easily start to take apart things that are false. But that does not always give you all the details and truths you'd like to have. But it does give you a very important foundation in understanding that once you know a thing is fraudulent, it no longer holds value for you, can no longer be accepted. Yeah, I think it's how classic disinformation works as well. I mean, um, e even with regard to NASA, there are quite a number of people out there who will talk about aliens and they'll rubbish a certain amount of NASA's information and they'll call them liars, yet then they'll use NASA's data to back up their own argument as to what is really going on in the world. And that, to me, is just completely incredible. I mean, how can you, on one hand, rubbish an organization and then use that same organization's data and assume that just because it fits your argument or the outcome that you're looking for, that you can then use that information credibly or reliably? It just, just doesn't... I mean, if you think critically about it, it just doesn't make any sense. No, that's classic social engineering. I mean, they're using uh, actual tactics from places like Tavistock and the Frankfurt School, uh, Young and Freud, which were the basis for all those social engineering psychological endeavors. Um, that's exactly how it's done. But I would point out, you know, I recently did research on Tavistock because so many people wanted me to do a show on it on my podcast. Yeah. 
And um, what I found was that they actually claim um, when they declared war on the hippie generation and they drugged out a whole generation and they did all their psychological operations through the music of the 60s, um, they claimed that they started the alien agenda, the whole Roswell nonsense on the 33rd parallel in the Mm. United States. Um, The problem here is, is I can't tell you whether human beings are the only game in town, but what I can tell you is I have never seen a shred of evidence that lets me know there are aliens. So in my mind, there are no aliens. I mean, I can sit here and logically work out all these reasons why I want them to be, but a logical, no-nonsense place to start is, is there anything that allows me to even have a shred of foundational evidence to make the claim? And there isn't. And I'm sorry, you know, we live in the, in the high-def high age. Everybody in this world's got a camera in their pocket, and yet what evidence do we have? And that's not to say that that could change over time. Who the heck knows what comes next year or 10 years from now? But for now, there is no evidence, and we have places responsible for social engineering like Tavistock claiming responsibility for the alien agenda and all the alien nonsense you've seen on TV. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what way that pans out because – They don't do this for no reason, especially when you hear people like the Pope and the Vatican coming out and saying, oh, yeah, well, uh, of course, if there are aliens, which we didn't accept for God knows how many years, if there are aliens, of course, they would be believers. I mean, if they're preaching to their flock and saying, "Okay, well, now you can accept or at least let into your mind the idea that aliens might exist. I'd bet my bottom dollar that at some point we're going to be told that they feckin' exist. <laughs> if I was trying to control things and I wanted everybody under the same banner all of a sudden, I mean, clearly that's not what they want now. They want everyone divided. But if at some point I wanted everybody under the same banner, what better way to do it than with an external threat such as that? Of course. And I, and I would remind everyone listening, the bigger the news story, the more you should not accept it, the more you should challenge it. Anything, any big piece of information that goes across world news, national news, you should instantly, out of hand, say, I do not accept it. That is very likely a lie and challenge it and make it prove its worth. You're not hurting anyone to do this. You're acting like an adult human being. See, the problem here is, is that when an information source that has access to a few hundred million or maybe even billions of minds uh, in international media where it's going across countries and they spout their terrorism nonsense or, you know, that 19 Muslims knocked down the buildings and, you know, billions of people believe what they were told. And yet so few adult human beings stood up and said, not so fast. Why should I accept what you're telling me? As a matter of fact, the closer I look, the more problems I see. Yeah. So, you know, if we ever do get to the alien invasion, I would urge people to call poppycock out of the gate. You should be saying, prove it. I I don't accept this. This is nonsense. Prove it to me and then start taking apart the details and you will quickly understand whether there's reason to to accept or not. Yeah, I mean, what you're talking about, the work that you do and the way you join the dots as well, it's so encompassing that it really... it really forces one to examine pretty much everything that we've been told from day one. And... One of the things that I was told from day one, a lot of people have been told and was fascinated with growing up. And it's only in the last kind of three or four months that I've seen question marks over this. And I know you've discussed it on your podcast and I haven't actually listened to that episode yet. I've been uh, working my way backwards through your podcast. I only came across your actual podcast in the last couple of weeks and I've been devouring it ever since. And we'll give people the links to that on, on our site, etc., etc. But 
It's dinosaurs, Crow. Now, I mentioned this to a friend of mine that, jeez, uh, did you ever think that maybe we've been told a lie about dinosaurs and I mean, the level of ridic- ridicule that was aimed in my direction was, uh, was off the chart. Now, I don't know, I, I don't have any evidence one way or another with regard to this, but I'm just interested by the fact that, I mean, it's so ubiquitous, the, the, the idea of dinosaurs and how they mysteriously disappeared then. What are the question marks around that? dinosaurs are fraud there's there's no portion of history you know there's even some good russian researchers who have taken apart the historical timeline and it was funny because i was not aware of them and i had come to the conclusion that it's quite likely that any kind of real history um probably doesn't exist before say the renaissance or what's called the dark ages but even the history we've been given up through that period is quite often the same character with a different name and a different costume. Um, And that includes the falsehoods of how wars happened and how countries came to own this, that, or the other. It's royalty playing its royalty games. But to take on dinosaurs, I had heard the claim being made, and it had the ring of truth for me. I just didn't know why. So one day, I wasn't filming. I think the weather was bad or something. So I jumped on some search engines and started to challenge dinosaurs. And the one thing that smacked me across the face within about five minutes of searching was the claim that there is in no museum a real dinosaur skull, a real large dinosaur skull, like a T-Rex skull or any other kind of major dinosaur skull. Um, And the further I got, uh, I began to see things like there was a T-Rex skeleton on display, um, but they had to paint it with lead paint because it was so radioactive. And I thought, come on. Ah, seriously. And, and, and the more I started to go into it, uh, the Ring of Truth left the, the building. And then I started seeing the number encoding and the language that doesn't mean a damn thing, this kind of Tavistock social programming language. And then I took a look away and I looked at the television and I looked at all the childhood programming that gets dinosaurs into that child's mind and that's when I came to understand and anyone who has a problem with that I would ask two questions why do you care whether or not there were dinosaurs why are you so invested in it if you're getting angry that I'm telling you this thing you believe in is not true that in itself is evidence of the social programming getting you to invest yourself so wholly in a nonsense thing that you're upset when it's challenged but if you're a person who can take a look I don't know, man. Maybe prove me wrong. Go find real large dinosaur uh, skulls somewhere. Because how could it be that we have all these skeletons and yet no one has a real dinosaur skeleton? And that even sets aside the the initial supposedly guy back in the 17 or 1800s in England who first started naming things dinosaur, terrible lizard or whatever it was. Hmm. And he's supposedly putting all the bones together wrong and finding out, oh, that was actually a hippopotamus. And it's all shenanigans, man. Like like a truck on an auto dealership, a real thing that exists, you can look at and know everything about it. Hmm. There may be a mistake here or there, but you will know the basic facts about a truck because a truck exists. When you start to challenge dinosaurs, it's nonsense, man. Too many problems. And not only that, you know, I saw a piece of footage the other day of a Komodo dragon. And when I was a kid, I was fascinated with Komodo dragons. I was fascinated with dinosaurs when I was like in sixth grade. Yeah. Um, at the San Diego Zoo in the town where I grew up, they always had Komodo dragons there. Or 
a lot of the time they had Komodo dragons there, and I was so kind of struck with them. They were so prehistoric and the closest you could get to a dinosaur. I saw footage of a massive Komodo on Komodo Island the other day, and the one thing that struck me is, okay, that thing's what, 12 feet long maybe? Hmm. Blow that up a couple hundred times to the size of a dinosaur and it would instantly structurally not be able to walk and fall apart. Its guts would probably fall out. Um, you have to look at these things in a no-nonsense manner, man. You have to logically work out, is this even possible? Is it even possible for a thing to be hundreds of times bigger than elephant and still be able to exist? You know, Could its rib cage hold its guts in? Could those legs support that kind of weight? Could you even begin to support the life of an herbivore on simply plants? Mm. Um, none of it holds up, man. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating and it's just so challenging to the pre-existing paradigm that I can't help but be drawn to it. And again, I think that's <laughs> I think that's the ring of truth speaking to me. You know, it just when something feels right, it demands further investigation. There's just no two ways about it. If we ignore it, we're ignoring something innate within ourselves. That's right. Belief is in fact the enemy of knowing. If you can set aside all the TV shows you've seen, putting the expectation of what a dinosaur or what space is or Star Trek, you know, priming your mind in the 60s to what a starship should look like and what it looks like when you get to a planet, what it looks like you orbit. This is all implanting social engineering into the consciousness of a world population. And if you can just set aside, you know, say you really believe in dinosaurs and you think everything I just said is nonsense, just set aside for a second all the things you've accepted is true and look at it methodically and logically and do it for five minutes and see in that five minutes can you find a problem because in that five minutes if you can find a problem then you've got something you can grasp mm. and maybe you can start to let go of the construct the imagery that has been implanted in your mind so to the ultimate question then crow why why all these lies why this deceit why this deception it's about control. Human beings can be so much more than we are. We have been de-evolved. We can be beings probably that don't need language. We can communicate through thought. We can do all these amazing things as advanced, developed human beings. But it appears what has happened is that the people who had all the money, all the power, all the good information set about making sure that their bloodlines would hold control and they would begin to de-evolve the entire rest of the planet, the worker bees, the masses, or the asses as they would refer to us, the little people, mm. the insignificant stupid monkeys that do all the dumb work that they need done. Um, the, the thing here is that you can demonstrate that de-evolution has happened. Um, I mean, even simple things like looking at a handwritten letter from, say, the early 1800s, the beautiful script that all the educated people used, yeah. the high-minded ideas that were being transmitted in that letter, and that's just one tiny example. Now look at the food supply. Look at the idea of genetic engineering and that boxed foods no longer have nutrition and that fluoride has been added into all the water, which clearly affects your pineal gland or your third eye, which is required for higher human ability. Um, it appears to me that it's about control, about a very dastardly kind of evil set of people who have 
been willing to do anything to maintain control while completely retarding as much of the world population as they can in every way they could from nutrition to water to information to where it is we exist. So are you positive about the future? Do you think more and more people are going to continue to kind of cotton on to what's going on and more importantly than that, then take action upon it? Yeah, in my estimation, there must be some positive force that's helping in some way because at this point, if everything I've just said immediately here is even partially accurate, it would probably almost appear like the royal families are a bit of a different species. These are people who may be able to read minds or who knows. You know, they've had good food, good information. They've been developing upward as human beings while they've retarded the rest of us. Um, having said that, it almost feels like there is something in our favor right now. And there is one thing we know for sure living in this world that cannot be argued, and that is change. And that tells us about a law that is associated with change. Mm -hmm. Any created thing in this world will have an end. Any created thing. I don't care whether it's a rock, a mountain, a person, a tree, a tadpole, any created thing will have an end. And that's why this is a bit baffling to me, because these elites who glommed on to all this ancient arcane knowledge and supposed magic and Masonic tradition and, you know, Jewish mysticism and all the things that they've done, um, they have to understand that every created thing has an end. And that in itself proves that what they're attempting to do will see a time when it fails. Well, those are really encouraging words. And that's a theme that I have noticed in your podcast, which I have to say I have been just devouring since I came across it. I'm about halfway through uh, backwards. I'm working backwards through the episodes. And wow. it's, um, it's just the information is presented in such an articulate way and it just seems to flow. I really, really think it's recommended listening for anybody who might like this show and it's my favorite one out there at the moment. So tell us about your website, your podcast, how people can reach you and what's going on in the world of Crow 777 because there's a lot. All right. Well, most people are aware that I have a YouTube channel called Crow Triple Seven. It's C R R O W seven seven seven. But um, not quite a year ago, I launched a podcast, and that is a private website called Crow Triple Seven Radio dot com. Um, it's pretty impressive that you've made it through half of the. I think I've got about it. Uh, 80 hours posted? Yeah, like you're, you're up to episode 42, I think, at the moment. And oh, there you have it. Yeah, yeah so, so it's, a, it's a lot. But um, I, there was such an outcry from my YouTube videos of people who wanted to delve in deeper to things. And I'd kind of reached a point as a human being where I was free of details. I was free of the spider web. Um, I had made maybe the lowest echelons of the adult higher mind, you know, maybe the diaper wearing baby that just finally made it across the threshold where you can begin to hear the ring of truth, which doesn't tell you everything you want to know, but it does give you the foundation to understand that nonsense is going on. And as we begin to address things, it just kind of happened very organically. And there's been quite a response. There's a lot of people from all over the world now. You know, I look at the stats from my podcast um, every country with an internet connection, actually, there are people tuning in. So there it is, man. Hopefully you will come back and discuss some more issues with us, Crow. Uh, I've certainly been fascinated by the discussion and the chat. No doubt the listeners will be as well. And hopefully you've gained some value from it too. So thank you very much for joining me on Alchemy. I have the power. You have the power. We have the power. Crow 777. It's been a huge pleasure. 
Hey, thanks for having me. And John, just say the word. If I've got the time, I'll do your show, man. I'm already looking forward. Thank you so much. Cheers. Alchemy. Alchemy. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Alchemy. Remember, we rely on donations to keep the show in its current free and advertising-free format and are very grateful indeed for any help you can offer. There's no fixed cost on donations and it all helps. So if, for example, you could spare even the price of, I don't know, a tin of dog food every month, it would go a long way towards keeping us afloat. Our donate button is on the website and you can find us as well on Patreon. So your support and assistance is hugely appreciated. Indeed, thank you to all who have recently donated. We couldn't do it without you. Until the next time, I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. In our time of sin, they dwell in hollow walls. Darkness turns to light In the morning I awake Chasing thoughts of all we know and love In your mind I've seen You're trying to get out